Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's Australian Open semi-finals catch-up. Sinner stuns Djokovic to reach his first slam final. Sabalenka one win from a second title. And Medvedev fights back in five for a comeback victory. Chris, today is the 26th of January. We are here to catch up on the semi-finals of the Australian Open here at Tennis Weekly HQ. We've got our finals uh, in the men's and women's singles nicely laid up, ready for a weekend of uh, hopefully very exciting, dramatic tennis to get our teeth into. Sabalenka against Zhang and Sinner against Medvedev. Uh, it still feels weird to not be having Novak Djokovic in an Australian Open final come Sunday. We'll be getting on to all of that, what happened, all the fallout, uh, as well as that epic comeback from Daniel Medvedev in the second men's semi, which only finished a couple of hours ago. They yet again played late into the night. Uh, but before we begin, Chris, I'm feeling quite smug because I've managed to find... A jar of Vegemite. No, surely not. I thought Joel couldn't find it in London. So where did you find this? Well, I'm actually up in West Yorkshire at the moment uh, in lovely uh, Saddleworth Moor. And I found it in a supermarket here. So if if, if I can find it. They love it in Yorkshire. Then Joel should be able to get it in London. Um, So Joel, the quest is on. I hope you're listening to this. And I hope you're going to scour the shops this weekend because... We're very much looking forward to doing a Vegemite taste test come Sunday. See, and Chris, you're, to you're going to raid the British supermarket as well, I think. Yeah, I'm going to try. But I've got to be honest, I have, I'm actually a real enthusiast of Vegemite. Um, and I even, I even drink it as a hot drink. So are we, that is weird. are we having it? It's weird. Yes, it's weird. That's, I've yeah. never heard of anyone having it as a hot drink. A hot Vegemite, just, never. How does it kind of dissolve in liquid? Give it then? a stir. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then um, you have quite a nice, I mean, I think it's quite nice. I think it's a, for British listeners, a bit like a hot bovril, I think is what people used to have back in the day. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I've said before, I mean, I'm a traditionalist, but maybe I'm just very outdated in my taste as well. I mean, it's full of B vitamins, so I'm sure there's a lot of nutritional qualities to it. It's for my health. I'm just trying to, it's for your health. I'm just trying to imagine doing that with like some peanut butter and putting that in hot Ooh. liquid and I'm just, that's, that's hot not. Milk? That's not not going well yeah maybe yeah Yeah. peanut butter milkshake i wonder if morgan riddle would uh prefer vegemite in a hot liquid maybe i'll dm her and say it's better if you drink (laughs) it (laughs) yeah well i wonder if novak djokovic uh has vegemite i mean it is it is vegan he maybe could have done with some of it because he needed it today he needed some extra oomph he did not play well he lost to sinner four sets uh six one six two 
what a scoreline in those first two sets. Six seven six three. Yannick Sinner is into his first Grand Slam final. Uh, when I saw this result, I was somewhat surprised, but mostly by the the scoreline in those those opening sets, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I woke up this morning and switched on immediately, and it was just coming to the end of that fourth set, so I didn't see them live, and I have rewatched them. And it's very uncharacteristic from a Djokovic perspective. And normally Djokovic doesn't like to take things away from his opponents after a match. He will say he was outplayed and kind of sometimes leave it at that. Um, when we've obviously seen he's been struggling physically and hasn't played his best tennis. Um, and this time he really did kind of just lay it out there saying, you know, it was one of the worst Grand Slam matches he's ever played in those first two sets. And I mean, you look at the stats from them, Kim, and I, it's unheard of in terms of, what went down there because previously I think we're seeing him well into the positives when it comes to the winners unforced errors ratio but I mean he hit five winners and 15 unforced errors uh, which is just I mean it's unheard of and only four unforced errors for Sinner I mean you're not going to get it done in that first set and if you look at the second set I mean it's much the same story 14 um, winners to uh, sorry 14 unforced errors to six winners and then Sinner again just four unforced errors. So Sinner ran a tight ship and Djokovic really was missing. Djokovic was all at sea. Yeah, 54 total unforced errors in the match. And I think the most remarkable statistic, which I think is uh, doing the rounds a lot, people are commenting on it, is the fact that Djokovic did not earn a single break point uh, against Yannick Sinner. And this is the first wow. time in any of his many, many matches at a Grand Slam that he has failed to get a single break point, to even earn one, you know, to even have the chance to break. Uh, that is, I think, a shocking, shocking statistic. Especially for someone who's considered to be the probably one of the best returners that's ever played the game, who has a phenomenal return of serve. That really is surprising. And I guess if it says in a Grand Slam ever, that's even like his first Grand Slams when he first came onto the tour and might have been playing against like a seeded player as like a 17-year-old or something. So who would have predicted that that would happen, um, that stat would come up, especially kind of in his, you know, his his home court in Australia. I mean, a, a court where he's seen so much success previously. I think it was almost kind of unfathomable before this that someone other than Djokovic would take this, um, given kind of what's happened previously, given his success. Ten titles. I mean, he never lost a semi-final here, I believe, Kim. What do you think about the performance? Was it the unforced errors? Um, or do you think it was kind of Sinner's... Sinner's superb play. I think it's a combination of the two. You know, we haven't seen the best of Novak Djokovic this tournament. He dropped, you know, a number more sets than he would perhaps usually drop, especially in his opening matches. We thought he'd kind of turned a tide against Adrian Manorino with that, you know, emphatic win. But I think clearly he hasn't been playing overall his best tennis here you know he had those kind of wrist struggles at the United Cup prior to the event he said he was feeling unwell with a kind of virus at the start of the tournament as well so he's been below par this tournament however you know I I do think you absolutely cannot take away from Yannick Zinner like how he played how he's played this whole tournament you know he was being really really aggressive serving great moving Djokovic around the court and I think above all his mentality very calm, very composed. You know, he lost uh, that, you know, he had a match point in the third set and it went to a fourth. That could have derailed someone quite easily. You know, you're up against Djokovic on the court that he loves so much. You know, Djokovic has never lost a semi-final here. You know, going into a fourth, he might have been 
having panic stations, but so impressive the way that he just kind of regrouped, got the job done in four. Yeah, and I think that's probably the Darren Cahill effect, and that might be a big turning point for him when when Darren joined his team because he's had so many great results since then. It's almost like a switch has been flicked compared to what we were witnessing at some of the slams last year. I mean, I was in Paris watching him play against Altmaier. And I mean, when you watch what he's doing now on a tennis court and you watch what he did back then, um, he always had the game, but he can just completely kind of go off the boil. And when he starts missing, he can really miss. And it feels like that's what's sort of shifted is that his his belief is almost unwavering in his shots. And he he's just been hitting them with such conviction and this will be his third victory in his last four matches with Novak Djokovic, which I'm not sure many players on the tour right now could boast such a positive recent head-to-head against Djokovic. So question I pose to you, Kim, has Sinner got Djokovic's number now? Oh, well, I mean, Sinner has got everyone else's number because the only person he's lost to in the last uh, few months in his past 20 matches is Novak Djokovic at the ATP finals in, in the final. So he's unbeaten against, you know, anyone else. Uh, which will hold him in good stead, hopefully going into the final against Medvedev. Um, I do think, though, yeah, obviously we didn't see the best from Djokovic today. That did play a factor. And I do think that, you know, the last time we saw Djokovic defeated by one of the young hopes, you know, Alcaraz, Wimbledon final, he then put together a very impressive run of form afterwards. He didn't let it, you know, knock him down. He's too good for that. So I, I do expect Djokovic to to come back. I don't think it's going to be a case of, you know, Sinner having his his number for the rest of time. I mean, obviously, Djokovic, a lot older, you know, other challenges going into the sort of twilight years of his career, perhaps. But I don't think this is the end of the road for Djokovic. I don't think his fans need to panic just yet. <laughs> but I think this will have done Sinner the world of good getting that win at a slam, getting that tick in the box. It's very different getting it at a slam compared to, you know, a master series or, or even the Davis Cup. And he made that point afterwards. He did say going into this that the results he'd had previously, although it is good kind of getting wins over Djokovic coming into this, it is completely different on this sort of a stage. I think everyone is aware of the sort of level that Djokovic can bring. Sometimes, as we've said, like when he has had injury problems or he hasn't been playing his best tennis, he does just find it. And he can kind of blow someone off the court completely with some of um, his shot making as well as some of his just, I mean, his skill on the court. And I think that's where Sinner will need to continue to kind of play in this vein. You can't really question... Um, your game. I mean, if he's serving this well, I think that will put him in a better stead than maybe Alcaraz coming out of Wimbledon because he does get a lot more free points and it did have a really big impact on the game today. Um, That's something that really stood out when you look at the numbers that are attached to it, that not only was he returning really well, but he was also serving phenomenally well. I mean, he hit nine aces and just one double fault. Um, which is, a, I mean, that's great, an 83% of first serve points won. So that's something where I think he has got the edge over some of the, the top four competitors in terms of the service. And I think that will put him in good stead, um, kind of at whatever tournament he's playing at. But I mean, I, I don't want to brag too much about this. I haven't brought it up yet, Kim. I've been very respectful. I, I but... was going to, don't worry. I was gonna well, going you to ask you how smug okay. you are feeling. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> how smug do I look right now for our, for our listeners? Yeah, you've got a big big grin on your face, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, Ben Rothenberg did say that you'd be an idiot not to predict Djokovic. And you he know, me and Joel, <laughs> we did both predict Djokovic, but you you win you win the uh, you may have got the slam spoon of shame in our collector set, Chris, but you've well and truly redeemed yourself by 
picking Sinner for the win. Although, you know, he hasn't won the tournament, has he? Hasn't he? Won He's it in yet. the final. That's he true. hasn't won it. That is so... true. And we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, right, in terms of that result. Obviously, um, predicting this semi-final and the, the win is great. But again, this could just go down as a fantastic win against Djokovic at a slam, um, as opposed to, you know... The, the first slam that you've you've won and you know standing in his way is is a formidable opponent an opponent that he's played an awful lot in the last uh, couple of years and I think that's probably something where a lot of people will think you beat Djokovic you almost should just be allowed to have the slam like you've done the hardest part here and therefore you should just be given it take the trophy or maybe you get like a special a special medal at the end of it to say that you managed to take him out but um he's got Daniel Medvedev in the final doesn't he Kim I know. Yeah, I feel like if you um, beat Djokovic, you should get like, I don't know, an yeah, like an extra, what's it, the green jersey in cycling or like a 147 break in snooker. You get some you, Well, you get extra the most credit. aggressive rider in, yeah. the, in the cycling. So maybe you get the <laughs> most aggressive tennis player. Um, yeah. But yeah, Daniel Medvedev will be looking for his first Australian Open title as well. So it's, it is all to play for. And Medvedev, you know, has way more experience he's won a grand slam he's been in this particular final twice already so he you know he's still a very experienced very very difficult opponent and he showed that today because he came back from two sets down yet again this tournament to beat his his rival you know they don't get on too well there's a bit of a grudge match between them Sasha Zverev um he was trading 7-5, 6-3, got the third and fourth sets back on two tie breaks. And then the momentum was with him in the fifth set. He was by far the better player. 6-3, he clinched it uh, just after midnight local time. Zverev will be obviously extremely disappointed. This isn't the first time he's lost from two sets up at the deep end of a slam. And Daniel Medvedev, you know, once again has escaped uh, from the brink of defeat. Uh, we were talking the other day how he'd been plotting his flight paths home two sets down against Emil Rusevori and in the match against Hubert Hercatch. But here, you know, yet again, he said that he just had to kind of go for it and go all out. He didn't want to have left the court regretting anything. And that's what he did. And he came back yet again. He did. And that's something that he said he's really been working on is the mental side of tennis and Sometimes he said he kind of had lost those five sets previously, uh, those five set matches. And this time he said he really wanted to change this and to kind of even more of a strong mentality. And I think that's something that's so impressive because he did say that he was actually feeling quite tired after the first two sets. He didn't have that much energy at that time. And then he still managed to find a way to come back and turn those those tie breaks around. And especially um, for Zverev, a massive missed opportunity when he had 5-4 in the um, fourth set tie break and he had 5-4 on his serve and that's the, that's one of those things with the Zverev serve it is a fantastic weapon but it should be a fantastic weapon given the height that he has um, but he's got to land first serves and he's really got to make sure that he um, gets those three points in tie breaks because when you see someone of his stature some of the big servers don't often lose tie breaks. And I think at times he does fall foul of that, especially in those big moments and kind of that final set tie break at the US Open final, where it, it doesn't necessarily think that he has the strongest um, mentality in these moments. Sure, you could say he has um, a, a good record in battling apart some of these opponents, but uh, you could also argue that he shouldn't necessarily be taken to a fifth set all the time. Um, or taken to such long matches with the, sh- the weapon he has to shorten the points. So I think for Medvedev, this was a really big victory and proving to himself that whatever situation he's in, he can come through it. And 
especially going to the final, if it's about mental strength, he's going to need it having spent so much time on court in the last kind of two weeks. And he'll need that final bit of kind of mental kind of resolution to get himself straight the way through this final. And, and if it goes long, there's a question there, I think, in terms of the fitness side of things. Well, yeah, I mean, he was two points from defeat today. He just, he went for it. He, he's come through yet again. He's been up, you know, he's had his back against the wall a lot this tournament. Um, but sometimes that, you know, it could be like one step too far come the final. You know, he said he's been feeling physically, mentally kind of drained and tired, but he still managed to come through. He could, could he do the same again? You know, if it's a, going into a, a long match come Sunday, a long battle, you know, he's had to battle his way through. Sinner's come through a lot more smoothly. Yes, he had, you know, dropped a set to, to Djokovic today. He was down in that second set tiebreak to Rublev in the quarterfinal. But Medvedev's really had to battle. And actually, if, if they get into a battle come Sunday, I, I have a feeling that's going to benefit Daniel. I think, you know, he's got some time to recover. I think... He's just going to give it one last shot. And stranger things have happened. You know, I think it makes you more up for the fight. It will come as less of a surprise. And we don't know how Yannick Zinn is going to be in his first Grand Slam final. He's not been there before. Medvedev has. So I think Medvedev's mentality is probably perhaps going to be a bit more, oh, I wasn't expected to kind of get this far the way I've been playing. I've been up against it. I'm just going to go out there and see what I can do. Perhaps. I don't know. I mean, he will be nervous as well. He's going to be trying to get this title for the third time, you know, third time lucky in the final. Those memories from when he lost from two sets up to Nadal two years ago, maybe that will all come flooding back and he'll kind of experience that that trauma on the court again. Um, it's going to be really fascinating from, you know, both sides, I think, to see what un- unravels. That's a great point as well, because we're talking about how good he is at coming back from behind. But what if he's up? You know, that might also be a difficult position to be in, having kind of been uh, having to be so strong in the moments where he's been behind. And then things are very different when it's kind of laid out in front of you, a bit like what happened with Zverev in this match when, I mean, arguably your thoughts can get away from you and you can try and kind of want it too badly and you can get a bit tense at those moments. And I think something that was quite amusing was that Someone who was not tense in these moments, obviously Medvedev. It was this shot. I'm not sure if you saw it, Kim. It was at five all in the fourth set tiebreak. Zverev slams this serve down, and Medvedev did like a slice, sort of, sort of overhead, like drop shot. Um, and Zverev couldn't reach it, but he was asked afterwards, "Did he mean to do this?" He said, "Well, I meant to slice it, but I didn't mean it to be a drop <laughs> shot." And it turned out to be like one of the the most important points of of the whole match that set up that set point for him. Um, Do you think he was playing it down? Was it luck or was it just a stroke of genius? Uh, Probably a bit of both. Well, I I don't know. Sometimes these things are just flukes and luck's on your side. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to use the K word because that's been banded around quite a bit uh, at the moment after the match. Uh, A lot of, a lot of people thinking that Daniel Medvedev said the word karma at the end of the match, uh, which would be a but reference did he? to did he? break point. Well, he said he didn't. So he said that he was talking um, towards his He also his, said he didn't team. swear at the at the French crowd in Paris-Bercy. And I think we all know that he did put the middle finger they up did. there. So, so we, I don't, um, know, we don't know yet. There are theories, Kim. 
Yeah, we don't know if that shot was luck or genius. He's he's playing with us. We we just don't know. Um, but yeah, they don't. They two of them don't get on. One of the recent Breakpoint episodes kind of was focusing around their their rivalry. Uh, as Verev saying that you know not very nice things about Medvedev, um, and mentioning you know that he believes in karma. So there's a lot of talk that you know perhaps Medvedev was was referencing this at the end of the match, uh, but he denies it. But we will. We will see. I mean, they they, yeah, they don't get on, so this will not have helped, uh, you know, going forwards. I'm sure Zverev's going to feel quite uh, bitter about this this loss. But, you know, at the end of the day, Zverev didn't get the job done when he could. You know, he was two sets up. He was two points from the win. He had opportunities and he didn't rise to the occasion in that fifth set. So he needs to go away and, you know, give a long, hard look at what he can do to avoid um, this situation. And obviously... There's a lot of stuff going on with him in the press and the media at the moment with regards to the the allegations against him for domestic violence. Like he is going uh, up in court back in Germany in May uh, with regards to the allegations from his ex-girlfriend about the, the domestic violence. And he was actually asked about that in press, wasn't he, Chris? Yes, he was. And he gave a very similar answer, a very familiar answer to anyone who has followed this where he said anyone who has a semi-decent IQ level understands. Um, and that's what he said, and obviously understands what's going on. Um, he hasn't necessarily elaborated on that, but I would kind of argue that uh, maybe the judge who issued the penalty order, who said there was sufficient evidence not to go to trial, probably does have a semi-decent IQ. But like, I mean, semi-decent. I mean, in the UK, semi-decent is kind of a good result. So like a good IQ, does that mean, or does that mean a not very high IQ? I think that's probably where... You know, we tend to downplay things in the UK in that sense. But either way, I think that's probably not the most respectful response at this time. But we do have a duty to make sure that people are aware of this. There's a lot of talk about it. um, And that when it comes to what will happen at the end of this um, whole uh, proceedings, it's still unclear in terms of whether the ATP will take action. Um, And I think now it's about waiting five months to get a verdict because it's clear that he's not going anywhere. Um, and that it will go to trial and then there will be a result from that trial and whether people choose that they'd like the result or they don't um, that will be on them but we we are waiting for that for now yeah it's not something that's particularly mentioned in commentary so you could quite well you know watch the watch the tennis and, and no not clue. know about about these uh, because it's not something that I guess is brought up comfortably in the, in the middle of the tennis match but um yeah, that, that's that's scheduled for May. Um, so a lot of people will be thinking, you know, this is karma that Zverev has not um, got the win today. So it, we do have Medvedev against Sinner in the final. Medvedev does have a winning head-to-head over Yannick Sinner, 6-3. However, Sinner has won the last three matches on the trot, which all fell at the latter end of last year. So they have played quite a bit recently and Sinner's been getting the job done um in all of those matches do you think Medvedev can reverse the the kind of what seems to be one-way traffic in the in the recent head-to-head I think so I was actually at the final in Vienna and I did think that they were of the tennis I've seen recently in recent years it was the highest level that I'd seen from two individuals um it was fantastic watching them play because Medvedev does have a slightly more defensive game and then Sinner is just hitting winners for fun. And it, it made for a highly entertaining final. And it made for a particularly entertaining um, final when Medvedev stepped up in the court and played aggressive tennis and took some of that time away from Sinner. And I think that's what's going to have to happen if Medvedev is going to get the result. Or 
he would have to hope that Sinner kind of in the moment in his first final doesn't necessarily find his form due to nerves. You know, some of the footwork that can be something that can go with nerves and there can be tension in your arm, um, but you can't rely on that. So I'd say if Medvedev is able to really step up into the court and play aggressive tennis, I think we could be in for maybe a nail-biting five-setter. But if he doesn't, I do think that Sinner is playing the sort of tennis that could cause a significant problem to anybody. I mean, he, he dismantled um, Novak Djokovic in, in uh, three of the four sets that they played, didn't face a break point. If he serves like that, there's plenty of reason with um, Medvedev's return position that he might not face another break point. Yeah, I just, it's it's really tr- tricky. I, I do think, and I hope that we will get a classic because based on, yeah, like the match in Vienna, it, it was a close one, um, you know, and I think we could very well be on for a fantastic final uh, if they both turn up. <laughs> uh, and I've just got a funny feeling about Medvedev. I have to say, I, I, I'm you? worried that Sinner's going to have a bit you of a You just don't want me to get the win, letdown. No, honestly, it's not that I'd be, I'd be more than happy if Sinner won the title. I do think he's played the best tennis. I think, you know, not just at this tournament, but over the last, you know, six months, I think he he totally deserves it. But I think Medvedev also battling his way through like this. You can't say he wouldn't deserve it either. So I just, I hope we're on for a fantastic final. But I've just got a funny feeling about Medvedev. I think if it goes long, he's he's going to marathon man he's it through He's rock solid again, in those moments. Perhaps. He but, really is. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Medvedev in five as my prediction. Ooh. I honestly think it could be Sinner in three. I really do. I think we're quite different then, aren't we, on this one? We are. We are. Yeah, we are today. It makes for an entertaining um, kind of result here. Like maybe we'll both be completely wrong and it will be, I don't know, uh, someone will win in four. In four, yeah. Well, we'll see what Joel thinks as well. But listeners, what do you think? Let us know on our social media. Um, We will be having a very short break now, but we'll be back, uh, not before long, uh, to discuss the ladies' semi-finals from Melbourne Park and previewing the ladies' final, which gets underway tomorrow. So do not go anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. And now we're going to move on to looking back and reflecting upon the ladies' semifinals from Thursday, which saw uh, Arena Sabalenka and 
Chin Wenzheng make their way through to the final. Uh, we have the defending champion up against a first-time finalist. Uh, but let's look at how they got there. Arena Sabalenka defeating Coco Goff in straight set, 7-6, 6-4. She's got her revenge, Chris, on the, the US Open final loss uh, way back in September. And she actually becomes, as a result, the very first player since Serena Williams to have reached back-to-back Australian Open finals. So Serena did it back in 2016 and 2017. Arena Sabalenka is, uh, has done the business and she'll be hoping to do a Victoria Azarenka. Uh, Victoria Azarenka being the last player to to win back-to-back titles. So, uh, of course, a fellow fellow Belarusian. Um, what do you think of, of Sabalenka in the final? I mean, what did you think of the match against Goff? Do you think, based on what you saw from her, she's... She's still looking on for the win come tomorrow? I mean, you would probably have to think she's definitely the favourite based on the fact that she hasn't lost a set so far. She's just been playing some unbelievable tennis. She did come very close, though, to losing a set. She did go up and it looked like it would be a pretty straightforward first set before Coco Goff actually broke back and got to level terms before she did kind of lose that first set. Um, and there was, I think, a couple of points away from losing it. So there was a bit of a test there, but she did come through it. And that's kind of all the more reason, you know, to think that this was probably um, a great a great match for her and a great test for her going into the final. Um, on Coco Goff, I thought this was quite interesting because at the time I really did defend her when she won the US Open because I think it was Mats Willander that said, kind of the first thing he said was that it wasn't a, she didn't play well. It didn't hit the forehand well, didn't play that well in that victory. And I think it's that whole point with this debate we talked about on the previous podcast of winning ugly. And so she said she actually played a lot better at this. Um, she didn't play obviously well in the last match, but she compared it to the last time she played Sabalenka. And she said that she played better in this match, even though she lost than she did in that US Open final. And the stats also support that. She was in the positive. She was plus two winners to unforced errors in, in the match that she played against Sabalenka. But the big difference was the unforced errors where she actually hit 19 unforced errors in that US Open final to 13 winners. So she was in a positive difference there in Australia versus US Open. So she took the positives from it. And I think there are a lot of positives for Sabalenka in terms of putting that US Open result behind her where she wasn't able to kind of come through some of those clutch moments. So in every test she's faced, she sailed through Kim. So I would have to say, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, that she is definitely the favourite going into the final. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Coco Goff wasn't at her best, even though she felt, you know, she was playing a higher level than that, that US Open final. She wasn't at her best in this semi. You know, her first serve percentage was right down. A lot of double faults. Um, you know, she, she did actually well. have, you know, she was two points away from getting that first set. Sabalenka came through quite an up and down first set. But I think, yeah, this, you know, she had, I think, her toughest test uh, to date. But she she's come through, has Sabalenka. And uh, I feel like overall, yeah, she's been the, the best player that we've seen on the women's side this tournament. And it does look likely on, you know, according to the the form book and on paper that she will get the win uh, in the in the final. And I think, you know, she's dispatched, she's dispatched you know, a Grand Slam champion in Coco Goff in the semi-final. And, uh, well, she will actually be up to number two in the world as well, um, regardless of whether she um, she wins her second Grand Slam title tomorrow. She's uh, up to number two in the rankings. And um, it is very impressive. I was going to say, obviously, the fact that she has made so many um, semi-finals in a row and now she's made another final 
which is hugely impressive. But we kind of put this question to our listeners as well on Twitter in terms of the fact that Sabalenka is someone that we've talked about so much in terms of how good she is. Um, And if she is someone who doesn't win more slams, it's almost a a crime because her abilities on the tennis court are there. She's one of the biggest hitters of of all time, I would say, in terms of how hard she can strike the ball. Um, But as you say, like number two in the world after putting together so many semi-finals consistently across the whole of last year's season. Um, what is it, Kim, that you'd say has stopped her from picking up more Grand Slams since she picked up that first title last year? Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, she is currently number two, but it, this is like solidified it because obviously Coco winner, got well w- yes, the winner snapped of that, match that would... ranking. So yeah, just to, to clarify, because <laughs> listeners, she is number two already. But um, yeah, just obviously that won't be taken away from her. Um She'll be looking to defend all her points. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously been like Miss Consistency over the last, uh, yeah, six Grand Slams or so. Long may it continue because she's clearly shown that she can do it on, on all surfaces. I think, you know, at times she um, mentally has, has let it get to her and just not focused in on the strategy that she needs to. You know, like we saw in the, the US Open final, she she just kind of got embroiled in kind of, rallies with with golf and she wasn't um really executing her her game plan and i think just making sure she's got that clarity of of thought throughout um it's just it's this small things here and there but i think you know we've seen her getting quite frustrated on court that negative body language and so i think you know it's always been within her grasp but it's just about honing that energy in the right way uh, which you know we have seen more this tournament and also see last year when she she got the win here in Australia so um you know she's she's not a you know a spring chick she's 25 i think now and still still many many years left ahead of her in her career you know it's so much more common on the women's side isn't it to, to grab slams when you're you know 19 20 21 we get used to that but it, it it's fine if you're waiting a few more years to to break through and that's obviously the pathway that that she has has taken yeah absolutely and I think on some of the points that you you made she does kind of go for a bit too much at times she almost doubles down hits the ball even harder and maybe that's one of the things in those moments if you are just pushing and pushing in, in in stress you can make more unforced errors and push that ball beyond the baseline which she did do um quite a lot actually at the US Open so I guess it is in those big moments and she proved, obviously, at the Australian Open last year in those big moments, she was able to come through. But if a match gets very close um, and being such an overwhelming favourite going into the final, obviously against Goff, you'd say she had a point to prove and she might not necessarily have been the favourite for that match. Do you think that the fact that people think it's on her racket might lead her to be a little bit kind of stressed in the same situation where she might have this pressure to really go out there and, you know, hit the cover off the ball, whether it goes in or out? Yeah, because... Yeah, you know, she's up against Kinwen Zhang in the final, and she will be, of course, the favourite. She's an existing Grand Slam champion, way more experienced at this level, and yeah, it will be interesting to see if she handles that pressure. Um, you know, compared to being a, a bit of an underdog or being, you know, kind of going either way. So, I mean, let's look at let's look at Zhang because she has come through. She's the second Chinese player in history to reach a Grand Slam final in the women's singles. We've had, you know, Li Na uh, winning two slams, but that was, you know, 10 years ago now. And uh, 10 years on from Li Na winning this very title, Zheng is, you know, 
one win away from potentially doing the same thing. Uh, she's had a very different pathway through the draw. She hasn't played a top 50 player. Um, and in the semi-final, you know, Diana Yastremska currently down at, I think, 95 in the rankings. So uh, kind of, it is hard to know what suddenly playing Sabalenka is going to be like, because it's going to be, you would expect a kind of golf in indifference in terms of the performance. Uh, but let's have a look at what, what we saw against Yastremska. You know, it was a straight sets victory for Zheng, 6-4, 6-4. Um, again, it, it was a bit kind of up and down. Um, Yastremska went, I think, a, an early breakup, had points for three love, and then Jung kind of just got rid of those kind of early kind of troubles and managed to, again, play her way more into the match like she did in the quarter against Kalinskaya. And um, from there, we saw kind of her, unravel, her unroll her game and that strong serve that we've seen from her. Um, but is that going to be enough against Sabalenka? Well, based on what you saw in the semis, Chris, from, from Zhang, um, do you think she's got enough weapons up her sleeve to trouble Sabalenka? I think the difficulty is is that with the serve, the technique isn't great and it can break down. I think that's something that you see that quite often there's quite a low first serve percentage at times. But when the serve is made, it is, it is a great shot. I think from a movement perspective, I think she's going to have to move very well going to have to chase down an awful lot of balls because Sabalenka is going to move her all over the court um, but you have to play first strike tennis and she, she is a player that can do that but then again and we will come on to this when we kind of preview a little bit more um, she she did get kind of hit off the court in the US Open last year so it's definitely a case where she's going to need to up her game and having not played as you say um, an opponent of the quality of Sabalenka or anywhere near the quality of Sabalenka, I think you have to question how prepared she will be for that match, especially in her first final. And you did make a, a nod to it already, but um, her run to the Australian Open final, she has played the world number 76, the world number 54, the world number 94, world number 95, world number 75, and world number 93. So that's an average ranking of 81. And it would mean in her run to the final, Katie Boulter was the highest ranked opponent that she played. <laughs> which, I mean, you wouldn't wow. expect. It doesn't. It just doesn't sound right, does it? And I think a lot of people, you know, said that Raducanu shouldn't have got to that point. Um, but she actually played like the world number 11 in Belinda Benchett. She played, I think, 17 ranked Zachary at the time. Um, and most of the players she faced were in the top 50. They just weren't top 10 opponents. That was the only thing that was missing from from that run. So, I mean, but is this the easiest path to a slam final ever? I'm just trying to work out if you know she'll be playing the world number two. What? How would that affect the average ranking? <laughs> I'm not that good at maths to do that in well, my head. Um, but I think it's surely it's got to be. I mean, I, I don't be. know, listeners. If you've got a statistic to prove otherwise, I'd love to see it because I mean, obviously this isn't Jung's fault. She can only play who's in the draw, and if the top seeds are losing early, then that's on them. She's just got the job done against whoever she has had to face. So, you know, full credit to her if she does go on and win the title and, and even getting to the final you know she's um it's, it's absolutely not her fault that she's played players of, of of that ranking um but it is an interesting yeah this is an interesting perspective because you know you could argue that it would be a lot tougher to win I don't know the the Miami title for example because you might have to battle through you know your ones threes sevens twenties of the, of the world so it doesn't necessarily maybe give um this title as much 
glory should should she win it but you know it is a, it is a big it, it's difficult isn't it when you talk about the, the draw and the opponents because well draws are made to be broken aren't they oh, Kim they're not deserving because that's not what we're trying to say it's just um it's just I guess it's sport for you isn't it it's just how it goes um and you'd certainly if, if I was in those shoes I, I wouldn't care I just want to get a grand slam so um yeah and with against your Stremska you would argue that you wouldn't necessarily want to face a Yastremska who's playing this well over potentially a top 10 player who maybe wouldn't who's play as well in of the day. Exactly. exactly. So I think there yeah. is a point to be made there. And especially on the on Yastremska, I think we have to say what an unbelievable performance this has been given the fact that she hasn't been passed on at first round in, in years at a slam um, and hasn't been anywhere near the fourth round since 2019. So it's an unbelievable effort from her to lift her game. And I mean, she's given herself chances and fought for every point in every match. And she played well. I think if you are going to set yourself up for Sabalenka, I've said maybe the path of not playing these high-ranked opponents doesn't help you with that. But Yastremska can also hit the ball very hard and she does go for the winner in the first strike. So that is preparation in some ways for playing against um, Sabalenka, especially in the ferocity of Yastremska, her temperament on court, um, and the fact that, you know, your strength is going to give you lots of things to think about from injury timeouts, which she's w- uh, want to do and prone of doing um, to, you know, kind of focus dips. There's lots of comparisons that you can make with Sabalenka in terms of um, the challenge that you'll have to beat the player, but also the person on court. Yeah, and Yastremska has been playing, you know, higher level tennis than her current ranking. She's actually up into the top 40 at the end of this tournament as a result of of her wins and all those nice ranking points that she's picked up this fortnight. Uh, I mean, Jung will, will be looking, you know, in the final to kind of make sure her serve is, is you know, is up there. Um, you know, she, we've seen when she struggled in matches, it's been when her first serve has, you know, uh, been at a lower percentage and she's, you know, she's upped it the last couple of matches after sort of a bit of a shaky start. So I think it'll be crucial in the final that she doesn't get off to a, to a poor start where she's not serving well, because I think she's going to, you know, if she's, you might go like almost two thirds of a set down. And by then, in you know, we know in, in women's tennis with best of three, it can be very hard to turn things around. You don't have much time to turn things around if you lose the first set quickly. And we've seen that a lot we've in seen kind some, of first yeah. time finalists getting quite nervy. And they're already, you know, dropping the first set in half an hour. Yeah, some terrible finals, haven't we? Especially, you know, we've seen, I mean, was it... Um... A Sharapova versus Serena, obviously not a first-time finalist at that time, but you, if you if you let it get away from you or the moment get away from you, it can be very one-sided, especially against someone who is a big hitter. And if they're making their shots, you really have to upset that rhythm. So that's going to be going to be a really big challenge there, and especially kind of looking to that match. What do you think that we can take from the last time that they played? I did mention it already. It was the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. And Sabalenka won six one six four, and that was on her way to the final. There, um, I mean, that was, I mean, a pretty straightforward result, and a result that not all of us were expecting at the time to be straightforward. With Jane kind of looking to be a player who was moving up into the world's top fifteen um, and playing well in that tournament. I mean, she knocked out some some great players en route to that quarterfinal. Um, but what do you think that we can we can take from that, and will that have an impact on this final? I think, I mean, Sabalenka obviously has played her. She kind of knows her game. She knows what to expect. So it's not a complete surprise because, you know, Zhang is a, a young player. Um, you know, this time two years ago, she was making her slam debut here. So 
there's still a lot of players out there who will never have played her and that can you know be a surprise when you play someone for the first time so at least Sabalenka knows she's got got a solid win over her at a slam recently I think that would be a good confidence boost um, but you know Zhang has has certainly developed since then you know she did win the most improved player of the year award uh, for the WTA awards last year she picked up her first two career titles that last year was very much her breakout season so uh, we, you know, going into the start of this year, it's it's a fresh year on tour. She, she's going to be an improved player from that experience at the US Open. That was her first time at that stage. So she's got that in her, you know, her experience bag now. But I do think Sabalenka, you know, she's got obviously that, that previous win. She is the, you know, she's, she's had this experience at, at slam level before. She's won this tournament. She knows what it takes. I do still think, even if Sabalenka gets a bit nervy uh, with the expectation, you know, she has actually lost four of her last five finals, has Sabalenka. So she, clearly there's there's a bit of an issue getting the, the final job done. But I do think that she will have enough to, to get over the finish line against Schoen. And I think it's probably in straight sets as well. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to agree with you there. I think I haven't seen the same level of tennis from Zhang in, in this tournament so far. And I think that Sabalenka has just played at a level that's been kind of poles apart from pretty much every player in the draw, except obviously in that sort of first set against Coco Goff. Um, I think whatever happens, it's going to be straight sets. I think with these players, it will depend on who is serving and playing really well. But then you never know. You honestly never know, especially if we talk about some women's game, it can run away from you, but it can also do it either way. Um, and I think that, say for instance Jung comes out there and she's like this is my moment and sometimes players do seize the moment um and I think that could really shock Sabalenka and that could really derail her as well so I'm gonna say Sabalenka in two as well because I think that is uh, to borrow the phrase it would you'd be an idiot not to think Sabalenka would win this but at the same time I'm saying I can see her not winning it as well so hedging my bets but Sabalenka in two I'm also just wondering, you know, 10 years ago, Lee Nahr won this title and Ooh. Stan Wawrinka won the men's. So it was someone that wasn't Novak Djokovic winning the men's and, or, or you know, or Rafa or Federer. So maybe it's we're on for a Chinese winner and someone that's not Djokovic. Maybe it happens every 10 years. I'm just saying. Well, that could be. It could be. It could be another prophecy, Kim. And also, I was going to quiz you on something, actually. This isn't directly related to the women's side of things. But I saw that the, uh, could you tell me, this is a trivia question, the last players who contested an Australian Open final that did not have Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer in? I think I can because I've seen it in Ooh. the news, I think, Chris. Uh, oh, Marit Safin take, take... and Leighton Hewitt, was it 2004? It is. Three? 2005, but yes. Oh, 2005, oh. Very impressive, it's four sets and yeah, Safin picked up the Australian Open title, so... Um, I just thought that was also quite um, interesting to think that it's it's been that long. I mean, as someone said Alcaraz was under two years old at the time. Um, so that is a bit scary. And it's scary to think as well, you know, that um, when Nali won the title, that was 10 years ago now. And she's been kind of all around the Australian Open this year, playing the legends with Hanchikova. Um, and it's just great to, great to see that, that, if it, that if the story is there, I'm sure that she's hung around for it and she'll be cheering her on from the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one final that we've already had happen has been the mixed doubles final. Uh, this was a very close one. Went down to the wire. Champions tie break. Uh, 11-9 it was to Sue Shea and Jan Zielinski. Uh So they beat Neil Skupski and Desiree Krawczyk. So 
Britain's Neil Skupski just missing out on uh, the mixed doubles title. But Su Wei Shea picking up, uh, you know, another slam, uh, but actually her first mixed doubles uh, Grand Slam title. So she's got a few in the trophy cabinet for the women's doubles already. Uh, She'll be playing for that title on Sunday, but she's finally got her first mixed doubles title, uh, which is nice. uh, And yeah, very pleasing for her, although sad for, for British fans. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable that she hadn't won a mixed doubles. I had to check that. Um, but I mean, since she's returned, I mean, she's 38 years old. She won Roland Garros last year. She won Wimbledon. And now she's picked up the mixed doubles at the Australian Open. So we're talking about age just being a number. World number one, Djokovic is, is in his sort of mid to late 30s. Bopana, number one, in his 40s. And then if she does seal the victory um, in the women's doubles, she'll be up to number two again because Merton's actually played... Um, some uh, tournaments last year with with Storm Hunter, so they have swapped that partnership. But it just shows you, you know, there's something about experience that really pays off in these situations. Yeah, absolutely, and and experience has proven uh, it's it's worth as well with uh, the wheelchair doubles because Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed, a British pair, have also won their fifth Australian Open men's wheelchair doubles title in a row so fantastic from them they beat uh Takuya Miki and Takita Oda straight sets in the final uh and I think um Hewitt is also bidding for the singles as well tomorrow he's playing Oda in that so hopefully he will be able to get uh both titles and uh, Andy Lapthorne, also British uh, player in the quad wheelchair, him and American teammate David Wagner, they won the quad final. So we do have some British success down under. Skupski, Skupski couldn't get it done in the mixed doubles, but we have had British success in the wheelchair event. So well done, all of those guys. And uh, yeah, good luck to Hewitt for the final as well. Um, but that brings us to a close for today. Uh, we will all be back together for the first time in a long time <laughs> since before the tournament on Sunday to wrap up on the singles finals and the other uh, finals action, women's, men's doubles, etc. So uh, we look forward to you joining us then. Chris, uh, you off to go and do your Vegemite shopping, I hope, in the meantime. Well, I need to, don't I? And cheer on Bopana. Cheering Bopana on with a Vegemite drink, perhaps. Uh- <laughs> yes, a warm one. Yeah. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode uh, of Tennis Weekly Podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all of the action from the Australian Open. We have one more round to go uh, and we'll be bringing the tournament to a close over the weekend. But we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. So if you do like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And this is also our final plea to ask for you to very kindly vote for us in the Sports Podcast Awards. Uh, Entries do close on the 28th, so the link is in the description and it's also pinned to our social channels. You can also follow us on our social channels or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, X, TikTok and YouTube. The handle for all of those is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can also purchase our lovely Tennis Weekly merch and the website for that is etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or you can check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back on Sunday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our final AO catch-up. So I do hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 